Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Benji Horowitz writes, and I'm glad he brought this up, and maybe this is an off-season pod, but let's touch on it now. I may have put a poll out earlier this morning on X, or whatever Elon's calling Twitter these days, in which I simply asked a question, very simple question. I said to everybody out there, who had the better Met tenure, Tom Glavin or Max Scherzer? And as of this pod... We received over 7,000 votes, and it was a blowout. Tommy Glavin has a rare Met victory, 60% to 40% that he had a better Met tenure. Benji's pissed. (laughs) Enough with the recency bias. Scherzer is not this colossal failure you seem to make it. I won't pretend it's this success story either, but my main point is the following. Tom Glavin was so much worse than Max Scherzer that it actually hurts that you would mention them in the same sentence. I'm going to argue with Benji, but I want to get all his points out there because he wrote a nice, good email, and I respect it. Even forgetting that Glavin killed the Mets so much more than Scherzer off the Mets, here are the numbers. As a Met, winning percentage, 690 for Scherzer, 521 for Glavin. ERA, 302 for Scherzer, 397 for Glavin. ERA plus, 131 for Scherzer, 107 for Glavin. Whip, 102 for Scherzer, 137 for Glavin. And he goes through all these numbers, by the way, in which Scherzer destroys him. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but as we all know, I mean, we, we know Scherzer's numbers defeat Tom Glavin. And since you love big games, let's talk big games. Scherzer failed in the only two games I can possibly describe as big. Atlanta and San Diego last year. Let's be real. The Mets haven't played objectively big games this year, so he's 0 for 2. Glavin, granted, pitched two really good games in the playoffs, but he was a disaster in game five of the 06 NLCS, and he failed miserably in not just the last game of the season in 07, but he got lit up three times in the seven up with 17 to play collapse. Look it up. September 20th, 25th, and of course the 30th, he got absolutely shelled. Neither was good in a big spot, but the overarching numbers are so skewed towards Scherzer that it isn't even a comparison. And also, tell your WFAN producer to read some history. Oh, he's going after you now. To read some history on the worst free agent signings of all time. Scherzer isn't in the top 10. Sincerely, Tommy. Oh, that was he's Tommy. Going, that wasn't he's going you? to Tommy. No, because I think I saw this guy attack him on Twitter as well. Because Tommy okay. put out Max Scherzer, the worst signing in history of Mets, of Mets. 
uh, worst free agent Mets signing of all his time, and he goes Jason Bay. So I understand that. But could I, but really quickly, I know you're going to yeah, dive yeah. in. I just do have to rebut, rebut one thing. Go. Max Scherzer was here for 42 games. It was a year and a half. Yes, his numbers looked great, but Glavin had a lot more history here. He was here. He did better earlier on, if I'm correct. He wasn't. If Scherzer continued out this contract for the next two years, his trajectory is so bad it wouldn't have got. It would have got worse. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the numbers aren't close, and I know that. I didn't need Benji to tell me that, but I'm glad he did because I get it and I I understand where he's coming from. And anyone who voted for Max Scherzer would come from. The numbers are not close, but. The one big difference in numbers is what you just laid out. And that's the fact that Tom Glavin, and I can't believe this is going to turn into a defensive Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin took the baseball every five days. And he did it for five consecutive seasons. And age-wise, he did it at the same age. Tom Glavin was 37 years old when the Mets signed him in 2003. So he was here at age 37, 38, 39, 40, and 41. He was here for a while, and age-wise, contract's a little bit different, obviously, but age-wise, it was the same thing. It's not like the Mets signed Tom Glavin when he was 31, 32 years old, and Glavin made every start. Tom Glavin had three years in which he threw 200 innings. A different era, a very different era, even though it's only been you know 20 years, but it is a different era. I think that it goes back to the old debate. Would you rather have a guy who pitches far less but is better or a guy who pitches far more, but is more mediocre. And Tom Glavin was no doubt about it, a mediocre New York man. He took the ball every five days. He had some good performances, a lot of bad performances. He also had a career that was sandwiched with horrific performances. His first game as a Met, opening day 03, got shelled by the Cubs. His last game, final game of 07, he got shelled by the Marlins. But he did, and this is the big thing, Benji. And, And by the way, who was the worst Met? It's actually very close. And I do agree that if you take the recency bias away, I think a couple of years from now, we're going to say Glavin was worse. I do. But in terms of this argument being closer than Benji gives it credit for, Glavin had some good performances in a big spot. Like he pointed out, Max didn't. There isn't one. And to simply say there's only two, here's why there isn't only two. A part of why the Mets sold this year is because Max Scherzer crapped the bed in big spots. Whether it was the game in Atlanta, whether it was the game against the Yankees up 5-1, or even the game against the Red Sox a week ago. You could argue if that game against Boston goes differently and the Mets win that series in Boston. Maybe they don't sell. I don't know. Maybe that one game changes everything. So I disagree with the point that he's simply 0 for 2. He's a reason why this team was forced to sell players off. I think this argument is better during the offseason because that recency bias that Benji's right about will slowly go away. And let me ask Benji this, and I want him to write me back on this, or we could pop him on the podcast. He seems like a good uh, Med fan. Where's Glavin in terms of free agent signings? Like if we analyzed Tom Glavin, the free agent signing, the years, the money, how he pitched, do we view him as a good free agent signing? Do we view him as an atrocious free agent signing? Do we view him as a mediocre free agent signing? Like how do we view 
It's been 20, 20 years now well, since they signed him. How do we view Tommy Glavin as a free agent signing? You're obviously right. Max Scherzer and Tom Glavin are not going down as the worst free agent signing in the history of the New York Mets. The worst is a little bit too strong. But time will, I think, give us a better feeling for all of this. <laughs> I do. It it'll, might it'll be, help clear it up a little bit in our minds. It might go da- he might go down as the most chaotic signing. I mean, he was here for a year and a half, and it was the ups and downs of the, this year and a half were pretty outrageous, from, for even a Mets level. Yeah, I, I also don't think you can look at the numbers, 20-9, 3.02 ERA, and have that be your guide. It shouldn't be. And Benji watches the Mets, and he knows those numbers don't actually represent what he was as a New York Met. There is a lot more context to what he was as a New York Met. We also may view him differently, believe it or not, because I do think the way we view things, it's kind of, it's interesting. The way, the way we end up viewing things sometimes. If Acuna becomes a star, hear me out on this. If he becomes a legitimate star and that trade is viewed as a steal, you know, Scherzer goes to Texas. Who cares what he does there? Assuming they don't win a World Series. And Acuna next year's up here. He wins Rookie of the Year. And he goes on and has a really good 10-year career. We'll view Scherzer more positively. Because all of a sudden, it'll turn to he waived the no trade. He was willing to move. and Not not that he'll get most of the credit for it. Cohen will. And I guess to a degree, Billy Epler will. But I do think where this goes from here will also help tell us the legacy of Max Scherzer's time with the New York Mets. But no Mets fan has a positive view towards Scherzer. When he comes back as a Texas Rangers later this year, after they play the uh, highlight video, the welcome back video, he will certainly get uh, booed rather loudly. Anyhow, as far as the baseball is concerned, the Saturday night game was infuriating because Carlos Carrasco was so bad that Reed Garrett, by the way, didn't look that bad. He wasn't awful. The Met bullpen actually did a good job until the ninth inning. They're down eight to one and they kept the game close. You know, we saw Lindor start to get hot and he built on that into Sunday. We saw Alvarez go deep, which is nice to see. Vientos has looked pretty good offensively. So it was an ugly game, mainly because Carlos Carrasco was just flat out non-competitive and the defense was lousy starting with Vientos. But it was good to see them respond on Sunday. Verlander throws a hell of a game. Lindor with a three-hit game. And that meant a lot to me. And I'll tell you why. Today was my day. Sunday was my day as a season ticket holder to have my son go on the field with a player, which is a, a cool thing that they have for season ticket holders. So Jets asking me, who am I going to get to go on the field with? I said, I have no idea. Last year was Mark Canna. Canna was a great dude. And signed him the autograph and told him to try hard when he plays Little League and all that. So this year we get the city field and the ticket rep looks at my son and says, well, you're going out the shortstop. And he was pumped up. He was going to get to meet Francisco Lindor. And my son, who knows uh, quite a bit of Spanish, said, I'm going to speak Spanish to him. I said, go ahead. Let's see you do it. (laughs) And he went out there and apparently... As Lindor got the shortstop, this is what Jet tells me. Jet said to Francisco, I know Spanish. And Lindor's like, that's great. Como esta? And Jet was like, muy bien. (laughs) And then they had a full conversation, which Jet has still not told me about. So I don't know what they talked about. But it was cool to then see Lindor come out and have a three-hit game and hit a home run. So not only does Jet get to meet him, get the autographed baseball, and the Mets win, 
But Lindor had a really good game. Lindor, forget him as a baseball player for a second. And I've seen this long before today, long before the experience my son got. He is one of the most fan-friendly guys I've ever seen. Yankee Stadium the other day pulls up to a kid, hands him a baseball, signs every autograph he could see. He also signs autographs before every game. One of the only guys I've ever seen do this. Uh, it's on the third base line. So if you ever go to City Field, check it out. It's on the third base line. About eight minutes before the game, Lindor will try to sign as many autographs as he can. So take away your opinions on him as a baseball player and the money he's making. This is a dude that puts the kids first. So kudos to Francisco Lindor. And selfishly, it was very cool to see him play as well as he did on the day my son got to meet him. So that was kick-ass. No, that's that's really cool. By the way, I, I think that, like, you know, Lindor gets such a bad rap for so many other things. On the field, don't get me wrong, uh, you know, he hasn't – has he lived up to the contract as far as his, uh, you know, power numbers, batting average, whatever. Overall, like, I really think he's done a great job. Like, I really can't sit there and complain about what he's done so far as a Met. He, he also – comes across, and I, I make clear, comes across, because I'm not in the locker room to know if this is 100% true, but from what we see, from the way after at-bats, he goes right over to Pete Alonso and gets into his face as far as, hey, expect this, expect that. He comes across like the leader of the team. You know, I remember a while ago on your guy's show, Tiki and Tierney, when they asked you who's the leader of the team. And I obviously I work with Tiki now, and it was brought up last week, and I said, the leader of the team's Lindor. I don't think there's any question. He's the leader of the team. And and over the last few days and really the last few weeks and months, leadership has been blamed as the reason why this season has gone sideways. I I don't believe that's fair. I don't believe that's the reason. I think sometimes we look for, we look for answers on why things go so badly. And that has been kind of the, the main talking point. It's come from a lot of places. You know, we talked about the Steve Gelb's comment from the other day, even Ron Darling saying everyone's not pulling on the same rope. And, Unless there are specifics to this that has not been expressed, I don't fully buy it. I I see a team that's just completely underachieved. That's what I see. I see guys from top to bottom who have had just bad bad years. But I I do think Lindor is the leader of the team. That's the impression I get. As far as what's next, what's next is the Kansas City Royals. And what's next is that the Mets are five games under 500. And they've got to go to Kansas City, and they got to sweep them. And I don't really care who's on the team. I don't care if Tommy Pham is gone, Mark Hanna's gone. they got to find a way to beat the Royals three straight games. They've got Quintana scheduled to pitch Tuesday, which is fascinating because the Mets' next game is Tuesday night, and it is two hours after the trade deadline. So if Quintana's traded, he ain't starting Tuesday. And Verlander even made the comment, I'm glad I'm not pitching Tuesday because I don't think he wanted to prepare for a start while also you know, getting phone calls about waving his no trade clause. But around here, because I am a diehard fan, I think most people listening are diehard fans, I don't give up until I'm told it's over. So the hyperbolic comments I make as a fan, such as, we're done, we're not making the playoffs, that's opinion. Yeah, my opinion is the Mets are not making the playoffs. That's an opinion. That doesn't mean I stop viewing the Mets in the prism of, how can they make the postseason? Because I'm always going to view it that way. So at 50 and 55, with 57 games left in the season, you bet your ass, I'm still watching every game, hoping for that miracle. We're babies of miracles, are we not? 
We were birthed to learn about miracles, whether it was 1969 or 1973. So I'm not looking at Tuesday night saying, I don't care if the Mets win or not. Of course, I give a damn if they win or not. Now, I also want to see them develop young players. So Ronnie Mauricio's ass better be in Kansas City. I read Tommy Pham's not going to Kansas City because he knows he's going to get traded. That's great. Ronnie Mauricio should be on an effing plane to Kansas City. Because this new post-deadline Mets better feature every young player getting the most amount of at-bats humanly possible. So that means Mark Vientos every day. That means Brett Beatty every day. That means Ronnie Mauricio every single day. Uh, We will schedule a pod for after the game on Tuesday night. Okay, no matter what. So, yeah, there'll be some thoughts on the game, but it'll mostly be a post-trade deadline mortem. And the reason I'm waiting until after the game is I I think it's stupid to record something like that or talk about something like that during the Met game or even before the Met game. Not that we would have time for that. I'm on the air till 6.30. And it'll give us a few hours to let it digest. So if you're looking for that podcast, it's probably going to be really early Wednesday morning, but we'll certainly put it out Tuesday night after the trade deadline, and after the Mets open the series in Kansas City against the Royals. One thing I have to ask you, because you just said that you, you know, you're a Met fan. You, we live off of these moments. We live off of the you got to believe type of thing. In your mind, what are you counting down right now? Are you counting towards like how many more wins do the Mets need to make to the playoffs? Are you counting down? Because what's like? It's, there's got to be a magic number somewhere. Is it 40 wins? Is it we have 17 losses left in the season? Like, what? What? Which one are you counting towards? Games behind. Simple as that. Games behind. Obviously, you want to get to 500. That's you know priority number one because I still think we live in a world in which you have to get above 500 if you want to make the postseason. But right now, the Mets are at 55 losses. They are six games behind multiple teams in the National League wildcard race. The Phillies are at 49 losses. The Brewers are at 49 losses. The Marlins are at 49 losses. The Giants are right around there. So I am, as a fan, and by the way, I know plenty of people listening saying you're delusional, you're this, you're that. It's not delusion. It's not like I think they're going to make the playoffs. It's that I don't just give up. And I think you made a great point earlier, Pete. If by some miracle, by some fluke, the Mets make the postseason. Uh, I'm not one to just jump back on a ship. Like, I'm here. We're on the ship together. We're watching. I also think, and not to question anybody's fandom, but don't you lose something if you check out for months and then hop back in? I, I would assume you don't get that same satisfaction of watching a team. But in terms of they got to get to this amount of wins or they can't lose this amount of games, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's strictly how many games behind are they for a playoff spot. And right now they've been stuck at six games out in terms of the loss column. And I want to get that bad boy down to three. Because I think once you're down to three, you're in a race. And that's where I hope the Mets can go. But it's certainly not going to be easy. It's certainly not something I expect. I think there's a better chance they finish under 500 than above 500. So trust me, I'm not losing sight of reality. I'm just a stupid fan. That's all I am. So expect the pod Tuesday and a Wednesday, and then obviously after the Royal Series. And even though I'm going on vacation in two weeks, I'll be potting from the beach. Hoffman loves those, right? 
to sit by the beach, talk Mets cubbies. Yeah, let's be serious. By the way, uh, we we someone recommended the like the drunk Hoff. We need a drunk Evan and Hoff podcast because Done. I think I think these these later season games. That's what's going to be happening. <laughs> I uh, I will agree to that. Since I'm going on vacation, not this upcoming week, but the week after, and I'm on the beach with the family, there will be a night. Uh, whenever the Cub series ends, I think it ends on a Thursday. Maybe I will. You know what? No, no, no. The series before that, the weekend series that they play in Baltimore. Okay, so I'm, I, I just started the vacation, and I'm actually going Friday. I'm going to the Orioles game Friday. Yankee Mets Orioles. <laughs> it's on the way. We're going down <laughs> to North Carolina. It's on the way. Um, Sunday night after the Mets Orioles series. I will uh, drink a bunch of frozen drinks, which I'm going to do anyway. And I will definitely do Sunday night. We can plan it now. Drunk Rico. Are you going to join me? Are you going to drink too? Oh, oh yes, of course. I think right. I created the Drunk Rico. You did. <laughs> it's your baby. <laughs> All right, so we can start advertising it now. One week from today. All right, because we're recording this on Sunday. It's the first ever edition of Drunk Rico. I love it. I'm excited. It's a great idea, Pete. Who's better than you? <laughs> I have no idea. Many people, trust me. <laughs> well, thank you very much for downloading and listening. I'll be with Tiki 2 o'clock on the fan all week long, or most of the week long, because I'm taking Friday off to go down to Baltimore <laughs> to see Mentorials, to go to Pickles Pub, to watch a baseball game, because it's on the way to North Carolina. It's the only reason I'm going down there. Uh, But enjoy the week and enjoy the trade deadline. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I talk honestly 
about the hard parts of life. Join us and guests like Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Brene Brown as we have refreshingly honest conversations. New episodes are out every Tuesday and Thursday. So listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts.